0: We continue in the book of James, and James chapter 5, and we are quickly approaching the final verses. So James chapter 5, and we'll look at verse 12 today. And as you get there, James 5, 12, why do we swear? And I don't mean saying those evil things we might say when we stub our toe in the middle of the night. I mean, why do we swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help me God. Uh, why is it that when we're discussing a matter, we might even say, right, we're talking to someone, we might even say, I swear to you on my mama's grave. All right, why do we use that kind of language? Well, we know people lie. We know that we lie. Lies abound in a sinful world, and so swearing or taking an oath is this format by which we can assure the other party, the other person, the legal system, that what we are saying is indeed the truth. We can push back against the lies and say, no, this is the truth. We need oaths because people lie. We need to swear an oath because we are not always honest. Why do we have, for instance, this is a part of the legal system, right? Why do we have a notary public? What's the purpose of a notary? To say that the person who is actually signing a document is the person who is signing the document. Why would we need that? Because lies abound in a sinful age, right? There are people who fraudulently try and do things, right? Or forge signatures, and as the book of Hebrews reminds us, right? Hebrews 6.16 tells us, For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. Hebrews 6.16, right? An oath is, is final for confirmation. We need that oath. Like, that's it. That's the bar. That's the standard. But what should we make of taking an oath? Have we ever thought about that? Have we, should we be swearing To tell the truth. Today in our passage James is instructing believers that faithfulness to God means honesty to others. Faithfulness to God means honesty to others. And so let's read our verse today. James 5 verse 12. This is the word of the Lord. But above all my brothers. Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes, and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So part of James's whole goal in this letter is to instruct the churches to be wholehearted to God, right? At the very outset, that's what he's dealing with. When he talks about praying for wisdom, he says, don't doubt. Don't be that double-minded person. Don't be that double-souled person tossed to and fro by the waves of whatever comes your way, but rather steadfastly believe, hold to it, be wholehearted, be single-minded. All these things, right? He says, within the church, there have been these issues that show not a single-mindedness, but a double-mindedness, right? That there are these sinful matters within the church. Uh, For instance, uh, when we go to... Uh, The issue of the tongue, right? He says, some of you bless God, and with that same mouth of blessing, curse man who is created in the image of God. And to that he says, my brothers, it ought not be so. You can't have a double, double double-tongued mouth. A spring doesn't pour forth bitter water and good water. And as he draws this letter to a close, there's still some more matters to address. And, and one is here before us today. And we may ask, why, do, why does he kind of stop in the middle here and talk about swearing oaths? Because it's kind of out of place, and commentators note that. They, they don't really know why James locates it here. Because what has he been talking about so far in chapter 5? Well, he's talking about rich non-Christian landowners who are abusing their workers, defrauding them. He talked about in the passage just before ours in verses seven to eleven about how we as believers need to be patient waiting for the justice of the Lord to come, right waiting for for God's justice, God's vengeance, because God is near, uh, and we're not to grumble against one another, but what we're to to take the example of the prophets and suffer well, we're to be like job and suffer well, and then all of a sudden he comes out with swearing so so it is a little bit. Um, of a random topic, it seems. But it's not so random in the whole of the book, right? We, Like I said, we've already seen how uh, he has dealt with this issue of the tongue. How we speak matters. What we say matters. And so uh, we have that concern here. I think this is a last chance, right, to to again address this issue. How does our tongue show faithfulness to God? Or how does it speak unfaithfulness to God, right? So as we turn to our text today, James wants us to be wholehearted in our devotion to God and the honesty of our speech matters, the content of our speech matters. So let's see see first, don't swear, don't swear, right? And he says in verse 12 here, right? But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. And so first let us note that, again, James is addressing the church. What does he say? Brothers or brothers and sisters. And understand there that the Greek would allow us to say brothers and sisters. Uh, but but we have here James writing to the church. He's instructing the church. And he writes, but above all. And here we must consider the, the use of this phrase. Because what does he mean by, but above all? Because it could mean something like, if we're reading that, right, and especially in the English as we're reading that, we might conclude that this is the most important topic that James is addressing, right? And, and in other words, to say, forget it, if you don't remember anything else, above all, remember this. Now we have to ask the question, is James using that phrase in this manner? Um, that seems unlikely, right? Out of all the things that James has talked about, I don't think swearing an oath is at the top of the list of the most important things that he has to tell us. There are many other things. For instance, we could go back to chapter four and we could look at the strong language he uses to address the churches and to uh, get them to repent of their sin. Right. That's strong language there. We know that James would say, but above all, repent and believe in the Lord if he was using it in that manner. So what does he mean? Well, commentators note that this construction is similar to how other Greek letters of the period would have ended. So, in other words, what he's doing is he's saying something like, finally, or as I come to a close, uh, I want to remind you of some other things here. Uh, right? Paul uses, for instance, this now finally or finally uh, in several of his letters to indicate that he is concluding it uh and again so he's not saying now finally this is the most important thing that i have to write in the letter but just simply finally i'm coming to a close this is this is a uh this is a help for you to know that i'm about to land the plane if we, if we wanted to use that example um for instance we could look at second corinthians 13 eleven. Second corinthians 13 11, paul writes finally brothers rejoice aim for restoration comfort one another agree with one another live in peace The God of love and peace will be with you. Right. So this is kind of the there's some still some things left that I want to say, but I'm coming to a conclusion. Uh, So it's a mark for us. It's a transition. And so we probably have here in verse 12, the transition, the beginning of the end of the letter, the beginning of the conclusion. And now uh, I would also say here, if you depending on your Bible, if you have headings in your Bible, this verse is probably under the heading of the previous section. So it doesn't say this is the conclusion. Uh, and again, that tells you that different commentators, different translators, uh, different scholars understand this verse differently. Uh, but for our sake and what it looks like, what the data indicates, it seems like this is the beginning of the conclusion. And so James gives us that. So all that to say, right, that we're at the conclusion of the letter. And what does James give us here in this verse? He gives us an imperative or command, and he says, do not swear. And again, what James has here in mind is the swearing of an oath. And again, we might think, why do we need to swear an oath? Well, we have already mentioned in personal conversation, we might need to swear an oath in order to assure someone else that we are really telling the truth, right? We need to do that. And there is a legal function when you go before a court. And to give sworn testimony, right? That, that's the key in the, in the phrase there, right? Sworn testimony. You swear that it is the truth. When you sign some legal documents, such as if you were buying a piece of property and you're signing a deed, you swear certain things. Um, and I won't get into all the details there, although I could, about why you swear certain things. But, but you have to swear certain things are true. Um, to, to, to be able to be a notary public Right. So even just a notary public, which is a public office. So if you ever wanted to be an officer of the state of the Commonwealth of Kentucky, uh, you could be a notary public and you could be an officer of the state. Doesn't that sound fancy? Uh, It doesn't come with any perks, but you could buy yourself a really nice stamp. So there you go. So it's something to think about. Uh, But if or if you hold other office within the state of Kentucky, you have to swear an oath in order to to uh, be uh to be kind of ratified into that office and so uh, this comes from our constitution I'll, I'll read you the oath of office that you have to take so you can prepare so if you want to be a notary you can know what you have to agree to what you have what standard you have to hold to uh, i do solemnly swear and then this is in parentheses or affirm as the case may be that I will support the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of this Commonwealth and be faithful and true to the Commonwealth of Kentucky so long as I continue a citizen thereof, and that I will faithfully execute to the best of my ability the office of whatever office, according to the law, and I do further solemnly swear, and again in parentheses, or affirm, that since the adoption of the present Constitution, I, being a citizen of the state, have not fought a duel with deadly weapons within the state, nor out of it, nor have I sent or accepted a challenge to fight a duel with deadly weapons. Nor have I acted as second in carrying a challenge. Nor aided or assisted any person thus offending. So help me God. So there you go. I know everyone gets to that point. There are a couple interesting things about this oath. And of course the one is, why is there an instruction there on duels? Uh, we had some issue with some of uh, the the old, uh, long time ago uh, with leaders of our who would go on to be leaders in in our country at large uh who fought duels and we determined as a state as a commonwealth that duels are bad things uh illegal and so in order to stamp that out right let's let's say in order to take the oath of office you can't you can't have been in a duel in any way Um, and there's been lots of cries to get that change and it's not been changed and it's a bit of history, so there you go. You could argue that later. But note too, and I, I mentioned it twice, that the Constitution actually has written into it an alternative language. And that's something to note, right? So because it says, I do solemnly swear or affirm. And why is that? Well, we run into this command in James, do not swear. And one thing that we see in James is that he relies upon the statements of Jesus, right? The tradition of Jesus and his sayings in order to um, carry them forward and interpret them for the churches, pass them along to the churches. And this is one topic that Jesus dealt with in the Sermon on the Mount. We could turn to Matthew 5, 33 to 37, and, and again see this issue of swearing an oath. Matthew 5, 33 to 37, comes from evil and so what jesus says in the sermon around right that that sounds very similar to what james says here in his letter there's a lot of parallels right uh, james maybe abbreviates it a little bit but we have the command that is clear don't take an oath do not swear an oath so back to the question in the kentucky constitution why do we allow when someone is taking a public office uh, to be able to affirm rather than swear. Because there are some Christians or or Christian denominations or cults or, or those who go under the banner of Christian that say, that take this command quite plainly and literally and say, I cannot swear. And so in order to be able to hold a public office, become a notary public, Uh, in order to sign a deed or make a will, that we need this alternate language of affirming rather than swearing. And again, we might have the question there, if it does the same thing, is it just an arguing about semantics? Maybe. Um, But they take this command very seriously. And here's the thing. Why can't we then just say, well, why don't we get rid of the oath? Because, again, we go back to we live in a sinful world. And the legal problem is if we don't have the foundation of you have promised that this is the truth, we have no recourse in court if it isn't the truth. Right. So if you swear to tell the truth and you fail to do that, that's perjury. Right. We can we can put you in jail for that. If you do that in a court setting, if you uh swear that what you that you are who you say you are and you sign a deed but you're not there's a there's recourse for that right that's forgery that's fraud so we can do something about it but if there's no swearing if there's no oath there's no basis for action so we have to have some kind of legal basis what do we do is that what James is addressing here? Is that what Jesus is addressing? They both say, don't swear. Don't swear by heaven. Don't swear by earth. Jesus says, don't swear by the hair on your head. Don't swear by Jerusalem. Uh, James says, don't swear by anything at all. Right? Right? Don't, but Not by any other oath. Well, what's the issue that they're getting at? That's the answer to our question. So should we not swear at all? The answer to that question is, What's the point? And the point is honesty, right? Truthfulness towards others. So let's see, secondly, be sure. And that's in be sure, and so we'll see that in, but let your yes be yes and your no be yo. Right? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Whereas Matthew five thirty seven says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. So what Jesus and James both have in view is honesty in speech, truthfulness to one another. And at issue, then, is the giving of voluntary oaths, not legal ones. So I would argue that what James is prohibiting here is not swearing an oath in office. It's not signing your name to a deed before a notary. It is... In our day-to-day conversation, when we're talking with someone else and we use those words, I swear to you, I'm telling you the truth. I swear to you, I, I, I'm, I'm going to do that. That that is what is at issue. This is not a prohibition against every kind of swearing an oath. But it is the prohibition against the kind of voluntary oaths when we're trying to convince someone else that what we are saying is true. So, it's like when we hear someone say Now, can I be honest with you for a moment? And that if we think about it, right, is a red flag. Because <laughs> then we have to ask the question, right? Have you not been honest with me thus far? The problem is that as a Christian, we should be known for honesty. We should be known for being people of our word, as God is a person of his word. When we say something, we should mean it, and other people should know that we mean it. In other words, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. We go back to Leviticus 19 and Leviticus 19 is important for understanding the book of James and we haven't focused so much on that, but I've mentioned it from time to time and I'm going to mention it again here. Uh, Leviticus 19 verse 12 talks about this. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Right, so one of the things undergirding this. We could certainly go to the. To the love command in Leviticus as well, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Let me ask you this question. Is it loving to lie to your neighbor? Is it loving to lie to your spouse? Is it loving to lie to your friend? And we might come up with a couple occasions where we might say it is. uh, Like when our spouse asks us if she looks fat in this dress, right? Our wife says, do I look fat in this dress? That's the trap, right? Admiral Akbar says, it's a trap now uh right so, so there might be times and occasions we can come up with where we think lying is a good thing uh and i lying is wrong right lying is against god's commands and i won't delve too deep into that but but it's not loving to be dishonest and god says in his word you shall not swear falsely don't don't swear to god that something is true when it is not uh In that instance, when we do such a thing, we are profaning the name of God. We are making it common and unclean. That's what it means to profane something or an aspect of it. To make it common and unclean. Something that is holy, to make it common and unclean. And in so doing, we are inviting upon ourselves divine retribution, as we will see in a little bit. And even if we weren't to swear in God's name, but by the heavens or the earth or mama's grave, we again are inviting upon ourselves divine retribution because lying is sin. And the wages of sin are death. And who are we to swear by these things? Because we have no power to call them as a witness either. Right? That's part of what we're doing when we're swearing. We swear by something greater than us because we call them as a witness against us. They say, let the earth judge if I'm telling it falsely. They don't listen to us and we have no power over them. And further, there may be times, so here's the danger in our voluntarios when we swear that I'm telling you this is the truth. Part of the danger is we may think we are telling the truth, but aren't. Because we may not have all the information, we may not have a proper perspective of the events, and so we may say, "I swear I saw such and such go into that bar, and I swear I saw them come out stumbling." Well, sometimes people look similar. We may we may have a case of mistaken identity, or we may simply forget the details of an event. Right. That's and, and again. Uh, you look at the data on court testimony, on witness testimony, and you look at the reliability of that testimony, and it's appalling. And it kind of scares you to think that we have a court system that is predicated upon eyewitness testimony, and eyewitness testimony is notoriously, uh, notoriously not, uh, not always true. We forget many details. Why do we forget the details? Because we don't always know, like, I should remember this. A crime is about to be committed. right? It's only afterwards when we realize what's happened that we try and go back and reconstruct events in our mind and we're easily influenced. Little details can be slipped in there by someone else. It's happened time and time again. So so why don't we swear then in those instances? right? We can only swear to what we know. And we better be sure that if we are swearing to what we know, that we clarify we may not know what we think we know. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are fallible, forgetful creatures. And to bind ourselves with an oath that something is true puts us at risk. Because being untrue, unfaithful, brings us under the displeasure of our God. And furthermore, as we talk to our personal conversations, right? If we find that we continually need to swear that we are telling the truth, that says something about us. Maybe we're known more for being untrue than being true. It may mean that you are dishonest, a liar, and it may mean that people know you more for your lies than for your truth. And in that case, you have failed to be obedient to the commands of God. Exodus twenty sixteen, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And that's not only about giving testimony, right? That, that has a broader application to the issue of lying. Or Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. So the Lord hates it, and they're an abomination. We should probably pay attention, right? Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. Listen to these. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Notice there in that passage there are two instances of false speech right a lying tongue and a false witness who breathes out lies both speak of similar things here god hates them and so brothers and sisters in christ if you find lies flying out of your mouth you need to repent you need to confess to god because why does god hate lying why is lying a sin why is it a porn in his eyes Because he is truth. He is always true. Everything God says is true. And from whence springs lies. Where do lies come from? The problem with lying is that it is not born of God, but of the evil one. Jesus, in confronting the Jewish religious leaders of his day in John 8, says this. John 8, the problem with the Jewish religious leaders is this. Listen to this, one of the problems. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Listen to what Jesus says of Satan, right? When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Could someone say that of you, friend? Could they say that when you speak, you speak out of your character and it's lies? And I've known people who are like that. I've known people who who at their core have been liars and at every juncture of their life, they have proved that they are liars. Right. In the commitments that they make. In the covenants that they make. In the professions that they make. Lies and lies upon lies. Lies. God have mercy. And the issue is not just in what we say. So I I want us to understand, too, that part of the reason we swear oaths in a personal nature, right? We swear oaths to say what I'm telling you is true. And we can mean that in the sense of the the information that I'm providing is true. Uh, And we can also mean it in what I'm going to do is true. Do we hear sometimes people say? I swear to you I will get that done I will I will do that by the end of the day. I swear I'm going to complete that, I'm gonna I'm gonna go and do that this week. We can show the truth of our character that is dishonest in our failure to do what we have committed to do. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. So if someone comes to us and they say, they ask us to do something, and we say, yes, I will do it, we better do it. And if we have committed to a time frame to do it, we better get it done in that time frame. Parents, when you say you will do something for or with your child, do they just roll their eyes and say, yeah, right. That's that's an issue of character here. That's an issue that James is addressing with the dishonesty of our speech. If we have to promise and say, I swear to you, I will get that done this week, son. That's a problem. That's a problem. If they don't trust you to come through, that's a problem. Because we must be honest in what we say. And if we commit to something, we must be honest and do it and understanding too what james has already said in james 4 right if the lord wills we will live or do this or that right so i'm not saying be arrogant and say yes i will do this maybe qualify and say yes i will do this if the lord wills yes that's my plan and intention we must let our yes be yes and our no be no and and notice there what james says our yes be yes and our no be no and that's an important thing as well There are things that we can say no to. We must say no to some things. We have to be wise with our time and energy. We can't do everything that everyone else wants us to do and still be faithful to do the things that we must do. Right? There there are things that we must do. There are things that we must attend to in life. And there are things that are optional, additional. And there are times when we have to say no to those things. And we must let our no be no in some situations. But if we commit to do something, we must see it through. The Lord willing. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do people characterize you as honest? When you speak, do people believe you? Or do you have to swear an oath every time that you tell someone something because they don't believe you? Our honesty matters. Our commitment matters for in our honesty, we keep safe. And so let's see that lastly, keep safe. So James says, why, why do we, why shouldn't we swear? Why should we let our yes be yes and our no be no? Look at the last part of the verse so that you may not fall under condemnation. Here we must remember the immediate context of our verse, right? Go back up. Go back up a little bit in in chapter 5 here, right? Starting at verse 7, for instance, we could say, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Verse 8, You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Or we could go to 9, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. James writes to encourage and warn the church that the judge is near. The judge is standing at the door. The day of the Lord is near. And so let's not grumble against our brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, as we carry that thought forward into verse 12, what we find is, why don't we swear? Why should we be honest in our communication? Well, as one commentator concludes, deceptive oaths, Will bring God's judgment. We must realize that false speech, lying; these things will bring judgment, discipline, punishment. And brothers and sisters in Christ, if you if you are no more for lying than honesty, understand that God will deal with you for such. He will bring to bear His discipline on you. Let's remember Hebrews twelve verses five through eleven. Hebrews twelve five through eleven. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Don't regard God's discipline lightly. Appreciate that he disciplines you because it proves your status as a son or daughter of him. Discipline may yield its fruit, though it is painful. It is painfully earned fruit. And understand that as a church. So here's where it comes to this issue of the church. We have to understand. We have to care about the honesty of our speech, about our speech as, body, as members of the body of Christ. We must care about what we commit to, and we must show the world that Christ changes us. Everyone around us may get away with dishonest speech, with lying and speaking falsely, of making bad promises in, in regards to business deals of having to swear in the course of a normal conversation with someone because otherwise they won't believe us. The world may get away with that. Understand they're not getting away with it, right? They'll fall under condemnation. But we church, we have to be honest in our speech. We have to be truthful. And if there becomes a pattern of sinful lying, of dishonesty, of false swearing in one of our members, we have to deal with it as God disciplines his children, so He has entrusted us the care to discipline one another when we stray from his word, and that includes in the in the context of our speech. I don't know that I've ever heard of a case of church discipline being carried about out against a member for false or dishonest, you know, false speech, dishonesty or lying, but maybe we would be better off as a church if we did that, if we practiced that. I'm not saying every time someone lies we bring them under church discipline as as with any other case, but there are patterns, there are people who have patterns and character in their life that is anti-Christ. And whether that's because they commit adultery and great gross immorality or whether because in in even the inconsequential matters of their speech they are always lying that's a problem that needs to be addressed church discipline is painful but it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness by those who have been trained by it This world is marked by sinful lying, sinful falseness, sinful dishonesty. We see it everywhere. Right again, we could talk about fake news. Why do we have fake news? Because we live in a dishonest, sinful world. We could look at social media and talk about how, what do we see on social media? Even if it's not just outright falsehood. We're always trying to craft a a particular image of ourselves that is not true. Why do we do that? An honest politician is something of an oxymoron. But if he's a Christian, he better be honest. The scripture demands it, right? Christ demands it. And upon such sin, there's coming condemnation. And understand for you, uh, for you kids, that you are at a formative part of your life. And you can begin sowing the seeds of dishonesty now, or you can begin sowing the seeds of honesty. You can begin to pattern your life against the world. Or you can begin to pattern your life after Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Because understand that there is upon such sin there is coming condemnation. And if you, Christian, take part in it, don't expect to be spared. You may not suffer final judgment, but you will suffer under his discipline. And you would do well to remember that that uh, instance in the early church in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. Acts 5, but a man named Manias with his wife, Sapphira sold a piece of property, property And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself, some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostle's feet. But Peter said, Ananias, let's listen, listen to this language. What does Peter say? What does Peter prophesy here in this moment moment? Ananias, why has Satan and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. We know as the, the scripture goes on there, Sapphira comes in, same situation happens. She says, yep, it was sold for this and this much. And here it is at your feet. And she falls down dead. Because she lied not to man, but to God. And God brought immediate judgment for, the, for that lie. I've said this before, and I would be interested to to understand it, to see. I wonder how many lies were told that next week in the church. I wonder how many of those church members maybe just were silent and said, I'd rather not say anything than lie to God and so suffer and fall under condemnation. Let the fear of the Lord cause you to be slow to speak and to speak true always. Right. James is instructing believers that faithfulness to God means honesty to others. James addresses this issue of swearing oaths because it is a matter of wholeheartedness before God. And it may seem strange to us, but we have to understand that this is something we still deal with today. We still hear people say, right, I swear I'm telling the truth. We may say those same words ourselves. We may say, I swear to God, I'm telling you the truth. That is a matter of wholeheartedness before God, because it matters what we say. It matters what we commit to. There is condemnation for those who speak dishonesty, whether because they lie and wanted to lie or because they speak half-truths. Go back to the Bible, uh, by the way. Uh, we, I didn't go there today, but go back to the Bible and find the time when people swear oaths. And I can tell you that typically it doesn't end up well. You have times where people swear oaths and God, I'll give you the first thing that comes to greet me out of my house uh, because you gave me this this great victory in battle. And here comes out his only daughter, his virgin daughter. Or you could look at King Saul who says, uh, curse be the man and and will kill him. Uh, if if any if any troop eats any member of my troops eats on this day before we have finished our work, and here comes Jonathan, uh, his son, who doesn't know about this oath, has some honey, is refreshed and revitalized, and then it comes time to King Saul to, to carry out the the promise of his oath. It's a foolish thing. We we speak oaths foolishly. So let's not speak them at all. And let's not be known by them, but let's be known by honesty. And again, that view here is not the issue of legal oaths. We can certainly swear in a court of law if we are, are called to. But in our day-to-day, we must live and speak with honesty. People should know you by the truthfulness of your words, brothers and sisters. They should be able to trust you. They should know that when you say yes to something, you mean it. You're speaking honestly. When you say no to something, you mean it. You're speaking honestly, whether that is in regard to the truth, regard to what happened, regard to information, or regard to commitments. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And what we're talking about today is not just about big issues. It's not just a matter of, Okay, when you're at the, the altar getting married, let your yes be yes and your no be no. By the way, yes, let that, let that be true, right? But even in the small, seemingly inconsequential matters, in all the small moments, we are to be honest. Is what we say honest? When we talk on the phone, are we honest? When we discuss matters uh, with others, are we honest? here's the thing when we return a product to the store and they ask us why are you returning this product are you honest that seems small and unconsequential but it goes to something of our character our conversations and actions should be marked with truthfulness always and for some of you beloved you need to confess your sins to god you need to go to him and you need to repent of a dishonest frame of mind you need to repent of the ways you have failed to keep your commitments and have so proven your dishonesty You need to repent for speaking falsely in business dealings. You need to repent for speaking falsely to your spouse. And if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And there is one who has come and has spoken all things truthfully. He is the truth. I I hinted at it before, John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This one who paid the penalty of the the sins of lying and dishonesty, right? Christ paid the penalty of those sins. Uh, That's only two of the sins, right? That you have committed against God, but he has paid for them and praise God for that because all who believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. All who turn to Christ and call upon his name will be saved. This is a blessed promise of God. And for some of you, you are under the condemnation of God. Your lies, your false oaths are your death sentence. They prove that above all, you fail to honor God with your lips, let alone all the other ways in which you have failed to honor God. You've sinned against him. You transgressed his holy command. And unless you repent, unless you look to Christ Jesus and believe in him, you can be assured of only one thing, eternal condemnation eternal judgment, eternal punishment. But if you confess your sins and turn from them and turn to him, he will save you. And then you will have all the blessed promises of God for his people. And so today, let today be the day you turn to Christ Jesus. Don't wait another day because you're not guaranteed another day. While it is yet today, trust in him. If you not want to understand what what that means more, I would be happy to talk with you afterwards. And then once you believe, once you've been born again of the Spirit, speak honestly. Speak yes and mean it. Speak no and mean it. Let's pray. O Father in heaven, our great and holy God, you who are true in every way, you whose character is true, you whose name is true, you who in Christ is faithful and true, God, we confess that uh, we too often turn to to swearing oaths. And Lord, we may not even understand that that's what we're doing. But Lord, uh, that you know that. You know the intention of our hearts. And we swear oaths because we're dishonest people. We speak lies. And people know us by our lies. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for such a spirit as this. The spirit of the evil one. And Lord, let us be born of your spirit and speak truth and be honest. God, that we would be honest with one another. That we would speak the truth in love towards one another. Father, that as your word says, our yes would be yes and our no would be no. That when we commit to something, we mean it. And when we speak something, we mean it. Because God, that's what you do. That's what you, when you speak, Lord, it's true. When you commit and promise, it's, it's true. You will bring it to completion. But Father God, let us rest in the truth of your word. And may you spur us, Lord, by your spirit to speak true. And Father, we pray for those who don't speak true. We pray for those who are characterized by lies, those who are of their father, the devil. Lord, we pray you would have mercy upon them, that you would send your spirit into them to regenerate and renew them, that they might see Jesus and believe. And God, help us to speak the truth of the gospel in love to such a ones as these to the praise of your glory, to the honor of your name. We pray these things in the name of Christ Jesus, he who is faithful and true. Amen.